We're back. I'm Drew McGarry. And I'm David Roth. And uh, coming in September 2020, a new site we have built together called... Defector. Defector, and we're going to have a new podcast to go with it. This very podcast, which has the name... The Distraction. It's out right now, and it's available everywhere else you get your podcast. At Stitcher, Spotify, Apple. Go listen right now to The Distraction everywhere. It's out right now. Go listen. See ya. Bye. Welcome to a special bonus episode of Deadass. Hey, I'm Kadeem. And I'm DeVal. And we're the Ellis's. You may know us from posting funny videos with our boys. And reading each other publicly as a form of therapy. Wait, I make you need therapy? Most days. Wow. <laughs> oh, and one more important thing to mention, we're married. Yes, sir, we mm-hmm. are. We created this podcast to open dialogue about some of life's most taboo topics. Things most folks don't want to talk about. Through the lens of a millennial married couple. Deadass starts now. This isn't a part of our usual lineup, but we got a chance to record something really special that we wanted to share with you all. Absolutely. This conversation was very special to us in this current climate because the winds of change are very prevalent. And it is our duty to use this platform to provide information that continues to educate our listeners. We appreciate each and every one of you guys, and we find it imperative that we promote positive discussions about politics as part of a successful millennial black marriage. So as you can tell, we're not in the studio. We're still quarantined. Or yeah. are we in phase one or two? I don't even know where we are I don't are know right what now. phase we're in anymore. It's I don't just... know what phase we're in, but we figured just to be safe, we're going to stay home still with the kids. We have them outside and we're going to talk to you. We have a special topic today amidst the current climate in this yeah. world. We have two pandemics that we are currently facing right now running concurrently. We have COVID and racism. Yes, racism has been a big talking point for a lot of people uh, in this this current climate, uh, specifically in politics. And we have a special guest with us today, um, Vice President Joe Biden, uh, presidential candidate for 2020. Absolutely. Um, His team requested that we sit down and have a conversation. So we felt the responsibility Mm -hmm. to bring that conversation to everyone. And um, since Kadeen and I are both, I would say, novices when it comes to politics we oh, felt yeah. that it would be responsible I'm totally beginning level to, <laughs> both <laughs> so, of us yeah no we felt that it would be responsible for us to bring in some people who are way more knowledgeable than us and uh, the three factors in our lives that we think are very important corporate structure uh, criminal justice and also financials so, absolutely because we felt like if there was going to be an area for change yes those are probably some of the biggest areas that we would have to tackle first from the top absolutely down. so you guys know us here at deadass and uh, we make it a point to try to get you guys as much information as possible especially information that's going to help uh bring forth some empowerment in the black community that's our community the community we love so much so we thought it was important to have this conversation with uh, vice president joe biden and uh see what he had to say you guys i'm i'm here to learn i'm here to ask hear your questions and and just have a, a frank talk. Welcome to our home, home first and foremost. I'm Kadeen. Yes, and, and as you know, I'm Deval. I know you've done your research, so thank you for so sure. much for joining no, us. Exactly. I know we don't have too much of your time, so I'm going to just dive right in. Um, sure. All right. So we've seen Governors Cuomo and Newsom, for example, be very clear on their stance when it comes to ending the racial divide in this country. Both have publicly agreed and stated that black Americans are indeed telling the truth about the oppression that exists within all of its institutions. Um, do you echo their sentiments? And if you're elected no, as president, 
will you create and ex- execute an actionable plan for race reconciliation? Absolutely. Look, I, I not only echo it, that's how I got involved in public life to begin with. You know, way back when Reagan was president, I got in a shouting match with, uh, with the Secretary of State over apartheid. I was one of the leaders in trying to stop apartheid in Africa. It's not only here, it's all across the world. It's basic human rights. Um, my point is, that's how I got, I got involved in politics that way. I got involved in politics because of the civil rights movement. I moved down from an area, Grand Pennsylvania, where my dad lost his job. We moved to a little place called Claymont, Delaware, in Delaware, and uh, we, I, I didn't know any African Americans. But I became very deeply involved in the movement because eight, we had the eighth largest black population in the United States of America, in Delaware. Our city is over 60% African-American. That's how I grew up. That's where I come from. That's what I did. And so, you know, one of the things that I've observed from the very beginning is that there is just flat, systematic, systemic racism and white supremacy. And, uh, and what we have to do is, here, here's the point I want to make to you all. I've, I've, I've observed. I'm 100 years older than you guys. But here's what I've observed. I thought that you could defeat hate. I thought that when, you know, when I got elected as a 29-year-old kid running on a platform of civil rights in my state, which was then a very conservative southern-oriented state, we were a border state. We, 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 we couldn't make up my mind which side we were going to fight on the Civil War, okay? And uh, I ended up taking over the Judiciary Committee. I got the Voting Rights Act passed, the, the, you know, a whole range of stuff done. I thought, God, we're making progress. This is over. We're going to really keep moving. And uh, what I didn't realize is hate only hides. Hate only hides. There's a constant struggle between the good and the bad in every society and ours as well. And for every gain we make, you get this enormous pushback. But as Dr. King said, the arc does bend toward justice. But we got to keep, keep, keep pushing it. And so what I think we have to do is I think we have an opportunity now. And I've spent time with the, with the Floyd family, and I'm going to be seeing them again. And one of the things that I think they believe as well, we have an opportunity now because the incredible racism that still exists in the country has been exposed to people who kind of thought it went away, kind of thought, right. I'm not a white supremacist. I don't think that. That's not who I am. And all of a sudden, they're seeing in a major American city, a guy having his breath, you know, I can't breathe can't breathe. Jesus, God almighty. I can't breathe. It's a phrase heard around the world this time. Around the world. You have foreign leaders like in Germany saying, what's wrong with America? The brutal killing of Ford reminds of the urgency of the work we have to do. You know, we have an open wound. This is an open wound and none of us can turn away and none of us can be silent. Silence is complicity. And so we have to grapple with it. But that's the good thing that's happened from this, is the, is the scab, we can't let the scab heal over. The right. words of a president matter. And this guy continues to foment. Look what he did in Lafayette Park, send the military in. Did you ever think, did you ever think, well, that you would see three, three four, four-star generals, two Marine generals come out against the sitting president of the United States of America yeah, for the abuse of power? We have a chance. So what are some actionable things that we can actually do in place, like as a president, as a future president, what are some steps we can take to actually move this forward? First of all, we got to build a 
stronger, a more resilient and inclusive country and a middle class. And this time we got to bring everybody along. And that means the African-American community is constantly left behind. We have to have a comprehensive plan with ambitions to match the scale of the challenge. Let me give you an idea. And my agenda, the African-American community includes creating, creating wealth in the African-American community, doubling the funding for small business credits for African-Americans from uh, to $3 billion, bringing $60 billion off the sidelines for, for black-owned businesses because that's what generates things in neighborhoods. Ensure the first-term home buyers they're behind the eight ball. They get a $15,000 tax credit, meaning they'll be able to get any loan they need because they have a down payment for the first home they buy. Investing billions of dollars in affordable housing. Nobody should be in a position where they're paying more than 30% of their income for rent. Protecting and building on on Obamacare. Black Americans are still less likely than white Americans to have health insurance at all or access to health insurance, making it universal. You know, you know, from the ACA, 3 million non-elderly black Americans gained health insurance. And this guy's trying to wipe it out completely. Invest in students and education, education, supporting education beyond high school, tripling the funding, which I've been pushing for for now years, $70 billion for HBCUs, minority serving organizations because they don't have they, 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 they don't have these foundations that are available in these large large reservoirs of money making sure that any anybody comes from a family that makes less than 125 grand a year gets free year four years of free state university college flat out free free strengthening the commitment to justice reforming the criminal justice system by appointing judges to the bench. One of the most things going on now, no one's paying attention to, look why they're calling the senators back into session, um, Mitch McConnell and company, to, to, to get more lousy judges on the bench, get more judges who don't think there are basic human rights that are out there that are available to all people. Establishing a task force for, on prosecutor discretion, but go back and look, go through a fine-tooth comb, what did you what what charges did you bring against whom? How many of those charges did you bring? Did you bring them against whites as well as blacks? What did you do? There's so many things we can do, and the country's ready to do it. And if I'm able to win an election with a U.S. senators taking over, Democratic senators, this is because the people are with us. The vast majority of people are with us, and we can change things. But guess what? The fight's never over. No. no matter if we get all this done and, and root out institutional racism or institutional inequities. Like, for example, look, look at all those, you know, not just African-American, but single moms out there with no child care. No child care. We're the only industrialized country in the world doesn't have child care made available. Out there without having paid family leave. What the hell are we doing? These are, and we're seeing it come to the fore now with so many people dying trying to protect us from COVID. These are the same people that don't have that help. Well, well Vice, Vice President Absolutely. Biden, no, sorry, no, no, I, I just, we've seen an increased number of Americans who've publicly said now that they, they understand the black outcry. And we've heard this before, even in, in 2008, when uh, Barack Obama ran and you ran on his ticket, we've heard all of the same promises. And it was tough for us. A lot of the black community have lost faith in the political system because we've heard these things. If elected president, right, for example, uh, if elected president, what would be your plan to help black families 
move forward financially because economic empowerment is important. For example, gentrification in the past and still currently happening right now. Black families are typically forced out of their homes by wealthy investors looking to turn a profit. So even with the plan that you've mentioned, there are a lot of black families who still do not have the economic empowerment to gain access to those resources immediately. What is your plan to help us gain access to those resources immediately so that we're not caught behind? Economic justice, the creation of wealth, is the most important thing right now. That people have to have a chance to be able to fight. You realize the reason I ran for office the first time I ever ran as a 26-year-old kid come from a family with no money was to end redlining. And it's still going on. And so two things. One, no city where they're, we're going to change the law that you cannot engage in gentrification in the community unless you get a majority of the people in that community to vote that they are, in fact, able to do that. Number one. Number two, that we provide for housing funds to build up the housing stock in that community. That's why I call for billions of dollars in from HUD to provide for rental housing and direct housing available to be built by people for too long. We've asked black Americans to bear the brunt of all of this. And here's the deal. It's not just, we, we're gonna change it. You're not gonna be able to go in and just wipe out whole communities and gentrify, right. number one. Number two, I've called for, send billions of dollars in housing funding. We're not funding housing anymore. HUD doesn't do it anymore. We should be in a position to provide housing, single-family housing, as well as apartments that are available to be built and the money made available now to communities that, in fact, will invest and build those facilities. Now, right. now, I've met with a whole bunch of mayors throughout the country. They're ready for it. They understand what's going on. Lastly, you know, if, 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 if you think about this, I know you guys know this. If a builder comes along and builds me a home and you the exact same home mm -hmm. and you are, and we're divided by a freeway you're in a black community i'm in a white community same exact home right. your home was valued at 24 percent less than mine before anybody even moves into it yes, if in fact we took care of that problem just that one problem i heard today that in fact you would have somewhere on a $120 billion reduction in the gap between whites and blacks in terms of being able to accumulate wealth. How do most people accumulate wealth? In their homes, yes, in, their, in the vast majority, in their homes. Yes. That's how they build equity. That's how they send their kids to school. That's how they yes. send them off to college. So we've got to fundamentally change, right? For example, if you live in a black neighborhood as successful as both of you are, and you have an automobile, and I got the same one I live in the white neighborhood, you're going to charge more for your insurance than I get charged with no yes. basis for it. Yes. None. Zero. Yes. None. So the things that I want to make sure is that the undervalued homes, school underfunded, justice denied, the poverty rates are twice that where they are of white America. Black workers yes. disproportionately hold low-wage jobs without benefits, and we're seeing the worst of layoffs today. Experts predicted that a disproportionate number of minority-owned businesses won't get any of the stimulus money that the Congress explicitly voted to go to them. And automation is going to displace African-Americans, Latino workers at a higher rate than there are whites. Anyway, we've got to begin to train people, educate them for the new jobs. And we're not doing it, but I will. 
Yes. We understand how politics works and, you know, talking points with politics. In closing, I just wanted to ask, as a, as a mom, because I normally go with my gut, why should we trust you in office? Because I know what pain is like. I know what loss is like. No one's ever said I've said anything that I don't mean. I understand what an awful lot of those people are losing someone in COVID. I got a phone call. I got elected to the United States Senate. I was 29 years old, top of the world. No money, no background, but I was at the top of the world. I was down in Washington. Before I got sworn, I got a phone call. First responder, I'm sorry to tell you, Mr. Biden, your wife's dead, your daughter's dead, and your two sons are not likely to live. Tractor trailer broadside, kill them. My son, Bo Biden, great guy. War hero, attorney general, came home from the war. Ron Stark, conspicuous service medal. Stage four glioblastoma, cancer of the brain. Given just not what he's going to live, just how many months he's going to live. Watched him sit there and die, and I thought to myself, what in God's name would I do? If an insurance company is able to come in and say, I'm sorry, you've outrun your coverage and uh, die in peace, what would I do? What would I do if I didn't have the ability to see to it he got good care? You know, so I promise you, I promise you, the reason I ran in the first place because then we got to rebuild the backbone of this country. This time, bring everybody along. Everybody. And I promise you, I'm going to treat all those folks, black, white, Latino, as if they're my own family. And I've never acted any other way. I may not be the most brilliant, the most wonderful, the nicest, but I tell you what, no one's ever said I don't do what I say. But people are hurting. They're hurting so badly now. And we can fix a lot of it. Just if we unite. I mean, you saw all the crap I got from when I started when I announced. I said, I think we're in the battle for the soul of this nation. I'll conclude by saying I hadn't planned on running again. My God's truth. And uh, when my son died, just a couple days ago in the anniversary, after five years, um, I had no intention, but I, he made me promise him that I'd stay engaged, not run for president, but I'd stay engaged because I've done it my whole life. He was worried I would just withdraw. And the only way that I found how you can deal with real pain is with purpose, if you have a purpose. And uh, one of the things that uh, I'm committed to do, when I saw those folks walking out of the fields, I said, God, truth, my word is abiding, in Charlottesville, carrying those torches, chanting that anti-Semitic bile, accompanied by the Ku Klux Klan, the leader of the Klan saying, this is the reason why we voted for him, meaning Trump. Young woman got killed protesting the pro those folks. The president was asked, what do you think, Mr. President? You know what he said? He said, there are very fine people on both sides. No president in American history has ever said anything that vile. Not one. Not one.
got to change. Words of a president matter. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, Absolutely. Vice President Biden. Um, yeah. First and foremost, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you. We do. Um, we will be, we will be watching. Our children will be watching. Uh, hopefully, this line of communication will stay open um, from now through November, November, regardless of what happens. But you know, we'll, we wish you good luck. Yes. We would love that. We would absolutely love that. Thank you so much. Let me ask a question: Is is my granddaughter still on this? My grand, I have, uh, I have uh, six grandchildren, and my granddaughters, I have. The, the first, uh, the first four are all granddaughters, and one of them is a rising senior. Is was, is the one that talked me into making sure we have this kind of engagement. Right. Um, she was on earlier, but she had to drop off. She's a rising senior. Kind of said, pop, pop. You got to do this. Pop, pop. You got to. <laughs> they get it. Good. You got to have that generation behind you letting you know which way to go. It's so, the, the, the youth is the future. Navigating it. <laughs> yes, the youth, sure. the youth is definitely going to change. Well, your, your, your husband and I have something in common. We both married up. No, absolutely. <laughs> I definitely, I'll kick my brothers on this. In my case, both intellectually and otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> both of us. That's how you know you're winning in life. You, you can go. marry up, man. Exactly right, man. That's exactly right. <laughs> Well, thank you, guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for your time. Good luck. All the best to you. And we'll see what happens in November, the road to the White House. All the best. Thank you. So Deadass Podcast, that's Deval and myself, would like to thank Vice President Joe Biden for sitting down and chatting with us about his take on what needs to be done and what he's planning to do um, moving forward if he were to be elected president. Yeah, it was great. Uh, it was great to sit down with Vice President and speak about the state of black culture and also the state of black America. But I do really feel as if there's going to be a lot more that needs to be done for between sure. now and November and even after November to continue to push forward with all the momentum we have with the current movement. So. I mean, yeah, social media has been an amazing platform for us yes. to get the information out there. So the videos, the, the memes, the reposting, um, people really just rallying around the cause has been amazing. And social media activism is one thing, which is great because we can sit back and we can post and right. we can put the information out there. But now that the information is out there, what are we actually going to do with it moving forward to create the actual tangible change that we all want to see? Absolutely. You know? I mean, not enough can be said about social media activism. I mean, Will Smith said it the best. He said, racism isn't getting worse. It's just getting filmed. Mm. And if it wasn't for everyone out there continuing to post the stories sure. and letting it be seen to the entire world, mm -hmm. we would still have to convince people that systematic racism still exists. So for everybody who's out there putting the word out there, using their platforms to push us forward, we appreciate you. We're going to take a quick break for some ads. Please don't go away. This for the record. There it is. A win for the ages. Tiger Woods is one of our most awe-inspiring sports icons. And his story, it comes with many chapters. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. But here it is. The return to glory. This is All-American, a new series from Stitcher, hosted by me, Jordan Bell. You realize Tiger Woods doesn't know who he is. Best in the history of golf. No question in my mind. 
And this season, with the help of journalist Albert Chen, we're asking. What if the story of Tiger Woods that the media has been telling, what if it's been completely wrong? All-American Tiger is out now. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. And we're back. We're going to dive right back into our conversation about politics, power, and black prosperity with some special guests. Some who have already paid a visit to Deadass Podcasts. As far as moving forward, uh, we talked about, you know, different types of activism. And Kadena and I have sat down and discussed three ways that we feel as a black community, we need to kind of educate ourselves on and, and kind of push the envelope. No, it's true. I mean, th- th- we thought of three ways, but mm-hmm. there are, of course, are several different ways that yeah. we can do it. Um, but we felt it necessary to kind of reach out to experts in the respective yes. fields since we are not experts at all. And, and one thing we know is, is what, what we, we don't, don't know. know. So um, <laughs> rather than try to sit up here and, yes. and make it seem as if we are experts, we reached right. out uh, to three experts in the fields, um, understanding corporate culture, mm-hmm. criminal justice reform, mm-hmm. and economic empowerment. Absolutely. I, yes. I believe and Kadeem believes that if we can push forward on these three fields, mm-hmm. particularly uh, over the summer, heading into November, we can use this momentum to push forward as a community. No, for sure. So that encompasses so many different things like controlling where our dollar goes, for absolutely, example. Absolutely. Um, that's going to be discussed here for uh, future in this episode here. So, I mean, I think we should dive right into I, it. I can't, I can't see, wait for you guys but, to meet yeah. our, our panelists. Uh, we're yeah. excited about them. So, so joining us now, we have Mr. Lewis Carr, president of Media Sales, generating over $8 billion in revenue over 31 years at BET, also a philanthropist and author. Thank you for being with us today, Mr. Carr. Thank you. We also have Kenneth Montgomery, former New York prosecutor turned criminal defense and civil rights attorney. Hey, Kenny. Hey. Nice to see you Again, on Dead Ads Podcast, Tiffany Aliche, also known as the Budget Nista, an award-winning teacher of financial education, motivational speaker, and author. What's up, sis? What up, Tim? Hey, how y'all doing? doing we're doing great. all right. Doing so, well, look, we're going to jump right in because Mr. Carr has a hard out. But um, realistically, it's been a lot for the Black community over the last uh, 10 days, especially. But you, you can say four centuries. <laughs> four centuries. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think it's time for us to kind of take this momentum and move forward. So, Mr. Carl, my question to you is, um, you've been responsible for pulling in major capital for a huge business. What are some of the action items we as a community can begin to do to build a strong financial infrastructure for our community? Well, well I think the value number one is to understand the value, the power and the influence that they have. You know, we know that the uh, black consumer market is worth about $1.4 trillion on an annual basis and spent across multiple categories, everything from groceries to uh, automobiles uh, mm-hmm. to soft goods. But not, that's one portion of it, the overall value. But their influence also, as we say at BET, what black people do today, the world does tomorrow. And I think this is a classic example if you're seeing their influence on the front lines of this other pandemic called racism. This is one of the first times probably since the civil rights era that you've seen black, white, brown, yellow people marching together. And I think it started months ago when those who were in the culture said, you can't love my culture and hate my people. So I think understanding their value, 
uh, understanding and making demands on where they spend their money, whether it's brands or whether it's just individual categories. I think we really need to really focus that we have power. We are not really backing up on our heads. We're not this beaten and downtrodden sort of right. uh, consumer market. Mm -hmm. We have real power and influence. And it's just how we use it and execute it in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. and, and Kenny, I just want to ask you quickly just to, to piggyback off of that. You know, you deal a lot with criminal defense and also civil rights. Um, how can we utilize that power to build some political capital? A lot of people ask me all the time, like, how can we use the money we have to get behind the right politicians? And I really don't have an actionable item for them. You know, how, how can we see it done? In our I group? think I think that requires. Um, unfortunately, we've been in the last 20 to 30 years, we we've been in this sort of um, uh, hazy position where we're, as Mr. Carr just stated, we have been able to make money. I think black people have made money from the time we got off the ships here. That's right. never been the issue. The issue is our inability to control our ecosystem amongst a predatory system. And when I mean it gets no predatory than people actually using your black body as wealth. Right. Um, and we, we've been enable, unable to do that. And I think part of the reason why we've been able to, unable to do that is, you know, uh, we've become a part of the American spectacle to a certain degree. Um, though those leaders, many of who we know, many who we don't, who've died, who sacrificed in the sixties and the seventies and before, um, they understood organization. They understood mm -hmm. grassroots organization. Um, mm -hmm. there's a difference between grassroots organization and CNN and showing the protesters all across the country because the grassroots organization you don't see. Right. And I think we suffered, right. In, in the 70s when this, 60s and the 70s when this country waged a war against that. They, Cointel yeah. Pro and Quintel all these Pro other Pro programs, right. they destroyed any semblance of black nationalism. And people are afraid to say that, even black people. Right. And I think we have to begin to get back to grassroots organization through supplemental education. Um, and when I say supplemental education, I think you have to start thinking about different ways of education in this century, how it looks. Look, we're in a pandemic and kids aren't even in school anymore. Right. So we have to really get back to grassroots organization. That grassroots organization allows you now to have accountability. When you have accountability, you can start nurturing and producing the leadership that you need in politics, socially. Um, but when you don't do that, you're stuck with choosing the lesser of two evils. Right. Um, and, and I think we can do it, but I think it's, it's going to take a pivot, a really hard pivot, um, and a really maybe uncomfortable for most of us reflection process about, about what's good for us and what's not good for us. Well, and where's that commonality? It's funny you say that because, and Tiffany, I want you to chime in here, right? When you're speaking about creating budgets and creating a plan for yourself financially, right? Where does black nationalism fall in that plan for black families? Because so many people ask me, Hey, DeVal, we're in a pandemic and I'm thinking about trying to invest, but how do I make sure I invest in my people and myself, not just just investing, quote unquote, because they're kind of lost? So one of the things I teach the folks that follow me is that you vote with your dollar. I can remember being uh, really young and going to like this corner store that we all used to go to. And I noticed they only followed the black kids, mm. even though we went there all the time. And I went home and I complained to my mom, like, well, every time I go in there, they follow me, but they don't follow my friend Susie. And she said, then why do you continue to go there? 
that your dollar is a vote. You're allowing them to say that um, we get to treat you this way and you continue to come here. So I was like, you know what? She's right. So I stopped going and I told a friend of mine, we should stop going. And before I know it, we all stopped going. And that store started to close because they could no longer, it was mostly us that was going there. And they couldn't, they couldn't sustain. It was like one of these little corner stores. They couldn't sustain without our dollar. You know, so I imagine if, you know, if we were more intentional with that. And so even just on some of the smaller levels, so I have a, I'm a black run business. I hire largely black women and we serve black women. And I'm really intentional with not just the women that we serve teaching them financial education, but internally as well. Mm -hmm. Right. So the women who work for me, not only do I pay them well, I also have financial educators come in, folks to teach them how to invest, folks to teach them what it looks like to set aside mm -hmm. for retirement, folks to teach them. We just had a class the other day to teach them how do you set up your LLC? How can you properly um, become an independent contractor? If that's what you desire. How do you get the PPP loan? We had that kind of internal training. And I think that it comes down to it's almost like we have to have more home training when it comes to financial education. See, that's that's great. And and I know, uh, Mr. Carr, you got to run. So I want to let you close out on this topic before you bounce. But building an infrastructure, I know you've worked in the corporate space for so many years, but it's been hard for black people to penetrate corporate culture because there's not many of us there. How can we begin to use this voice now and this momentum to push towards changing corporate culture so we can have more voice, uh, more of a voice? Yeah, because so many businesses now I've seen when they're asked to kind of um, the pull up and show us who's in your corporate leadership position, right. there are none of us, <laughs> if none not us. maybe 1%. Right. So where can we start? I, I think that's an area that we must demand change in. We must demand it at the board seat level, that they have to uh, make that board more diverse. Uh, and it, we can't get caught up in the word be patient. Because uh, right. as I said, we've been patient for several hundred years. So uh, we know we have to have more people on the board. We have to have more people in leadership at corporations who look like us, who really want to uh, make a change in the industry. If you look at my organization, I have the most diverse team in the entire media industry, diverse in gender, diverse in color. Uh, and that is not by accident. Mm -hmm. That was by plan because it is good for business. It gives you access in places that you would normally not get. And it also gives you the diversity of thought. I mean, when we sit around, we have a lot of debates on should we do this and why we shouldn't do that and what else we should do. So I think we have to, as part of the solutions, this is one of them. We have to have more people who look like us in corporate leadership and on corporate boards. And we have to demand it. No more saying, can you do it, please? We have to demand it. And that's why I'm so inspired. I'm so energized by the young people that I see as essential frontline workers in this yeah. pandemic on racism. So we who are in corporate America, as I sent out a letter the other night, we have to do our part. We can't just let people march and be sprayed right. and everything else and beat. We have to do our part in the corporate boardrooms and in the corporate offices to close the deal for them because we have the access. Right. We have the influence. Mm -hmm. They see that on the news, but we have we sit down with meetings and everything else with them. So we have a real obligation. I'm excited about it. I'm energized about it. And as I said, I'm not going to let them down if it's the last thing I do. 
Yeah, that's great. Mr. Carr, first of all, thank you so much for your time. We know you have to run. We appreciate you. You, for sure. you just you you kind of snuck us in right in between meetings. So we thank you so <laughs> much, man. Um, I'm going to continue to reach out to you for, for more advice and more help. I appreciate you, brother. And, and, and thank you, guys. Uh, anything you need me to do, I'm on board. And no, I appreciate you guys. Tiffany, Kenny, really thank you. Um, we got to see Mr. Carr at the Blueprint Men's Summit, yes, which is Blueprint also a great, Summit. a great um, area and a great space for black men to get together. I know we had a great time. That's there. right. And Kenny has the yeah. uh, the Brooklyn Combine. It would be a dope opportunity to get us. Oh, I would love that. It was sure. good. It was yeah, good. We all need to get together. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you. Thank Take you, well. Mr. Carr. Take care. Love to the wife. All right. I will. Kenny, I want to throw to you because Mr. Carr said something that was so... It was something you said to me years ago when we were talking about sports, right? And you said that everyone is so focused on getting their kid to be the next Michael Jordan, the next LeBron James, right? But we're not grooming any politicians. We're not grooming any judges. We're not grooming any attorneys. Mm -hmm. So we don't have the ability to take up that space. Mm -hmm. Like Mr. Carr says, we need more people in corporate structure, but we're not grooming our kids and, and take up those places. Can you talk a little bit about how we yeah. can do that from a graphic? You know what? And, and think about it. Like every day, right? We get up, we get tweets, we get um, social media posts, Facebook, Instagram, you name it, about what the far right has said, what the far left has said. Right. Um, uh, where do you get, where's the base to get what the black voice says? Right. There is none. The right. black voices that we hear, and not to knock anyone, they're usually pivoting from whiteness on either side. Mm -hmm. So when, when they get in those positions of political power, whether it's in the corporate world, whether it's in a nonprofit world, whether it's in a philanthropy world, whatever those worlds are that help keep, keep this ecosystem going, they're informed by that. Mm -hmm. Our children, we live in a society or a community where we've, we've been um, targeted so much and you know, put in such a, a, a difficult position that success is usually, yo, I got to get out the hood. I got to get away. Right. Right. Never to come back. So we're not cultivating or nurturing the mindset, the ideology. We're not like, we don't need uh, heroes. We don't need martyrs. We, we can grow money and understand economics. But what I think we need more importantly is ideology. And that ideology has to emanate you would like it to emanate from the home, but sometimes the home is not there to do it. Yeah. So what's the next step? The community. So those who have the resources in the community, the retired financial people, the retired teachers, the retired um, politician, whoever, they need to begin coming together and, and, and forming a, 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 um, a, com a commitment and a community to nurture and train through education and knowledge that hopefully leads to wisdom. So now you have an 18 year old kid when, when, you, so now our teenagers are 12 and 13 and they, they know the issues already. Right. Right. When you study the civil rights era, you know, it's funny because we look at those images of children. I mean, of people being hosed and bitten and beaten by police. The conversation that we don't have in this country is, you know, many of those people, they weren't adults. They were kids, right? Mm. They were 12, 15, 17, 19, and they drove it. Um, we, we get stuck on the leaders, but they drove it. 
It seems to always be the kids, though. To yes. me, it yes. seems the because kids always seem to be the one to put their bodies on the line. Yes, and to even don't, wars, even yeah. they don't have the fear. They don't have the fear. So we, we as a, a community, it's not too late. We have to stop. You know, we're not organized enough. We're not. Yeah, you know, we we're, we're organized enough. We're having this conversation right now. Um, right. Those who are in that position need to create a a a hub and um, share information, uh, have accountability. Because one thing, and, and uh, I think, you know, um, Mr. Carr and, and, you know, you guys may be able to uh, spread this a little bit more than me. Capitalism is at its advanced stage in America. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's not as sexy in America as it used to be. It's a little bit more sexy in China and other places of the world mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. If we are suffering because of institutional and systemic racism, not just um, socially, politically, and economically, we're also suffering health. That This pandemic has shown that. Right. Um, as advanced, ca- and the economic fallout of this, we haven't seen yet. Right. Oh yeah, Tiffany, you're gonna talk about that. Tiffany would, could speak way more than I can, mm-hmm. but we're gonna suffer. So our ideas of how we look at economics, how we look at advance, advancing in s- this society has to be different. It has to be right. different. You know, Tiffany, and they're telling us now too that this is going to be the worst in the depression. What we're seeing financially, economically across the the country, the world. Um, how are you using your platform to prepare people for this? Because I know a lot of, you know, people in general, but especially our Black community, we want to know how we're going to be able to take advantage of this, or how we can maybe some people climb out of this hole that they're now in. Um, so, how are you speaking to um, the masses about this uh, recovery that's going to have to happen? So it's been a little deceptive because the market keeps rallying and folks are getting excited. And I see so many black folks getting excited. I'm like, but sis, do you, do you have a, do you have a home that you own? Do you have retirement? You're excited about the points. Are you even invested in the stock market? You're, you're cheering from the sidelines, but you're not really playing the game. Mm. And that's what I find with our community that we're not really actually in the game. We don't have the basic fundamentals. So one of the things that I, so I used to actually be a school teacher in Newark, New Jersey, one of the blackest cities in, in the country. I still here, live here in Newark, so it was, it was interesting um, um, what was said earlier about that folks don't want to stay here after they've gotten successful. They want to leave the hood, you mm-hmm. know? But I was like, no, I was really adamant that my husband was born and raised here. Um, they've since torn down a project that he grew up in, but I'm like, no, I want to live here in Newark. I taught here in Newark. I was born here in Newark. Um, and I want folks to see me at the local, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, grocery store. So... One of the three things that I do is what I used to even do when I used to be a preschool teacher here, which is we need knowledge, access, and community. Those are the the three key tools that I use to activate whatever change and transformation I want to make in the financial lives of the people that I serve. So knowledge, when we know better, we do better. So as I learn, I know that one of my superpowers is education. I know how to teach. I've been teaching for 20 years now, 10 years in the actual classroom. I am a good teacher. If I learn a thing, I can teach a thing, and then I can teach you to then teach a thing. So knowledge is is critical and paramount. Access. This is where we struggle because access typically comes through a person. There are some doors that can only be opened from the other side. There is no doorknob. Someone right. has to open the door and literally pull you in. And so very, very rarely do we have access on the other side. So when you get in, it's so important to teach folks that when you do get in that room, when you do get to sit in that table, to come open the door, kick your foot open, and, and, and bring folks in with you. And so one of the right. things I do is that 
and reach out to other Black financial educators. We have a, a, um, a number of communities that we're, we're a part of online, and I'm always tapping into them to continue to teach our community. Like, oh, hey, Tila, you teach socks? Can you teach this Wednesday? Wednesday? Hey, Ash, you teach financial um, mindset? Can you teach on Thursday? Right. Hey, Nativa, you teach credit? Can you teach this, this Friday? And, and so that access is what I'm always trying to provide and finding higher and, and, and deeper levels of, of um, educators that I, can, that I can tap into to bring that access to this community. And community, I am, my parents were born and raised in Nigeria, and I've seen firsthand over and over and over again that we work best in community. We, as right. in, you know, folks of African descent, this is, where, this is from where we've come. I remember the first time I went to Nigeria, and I met someone in the village and they were like, you know, they, they told me their name and it was their last name was Aliche. I was like, oh snap, my last name's Aliche. Then the second person, you know, I'm, I'm Chike Aliche. Oh, my last name's Aliche. My dad's like, Tiffany, everyone's last name's Aliche. <laughs> and I'm like, but how is that? He was like, that's how a village is set up. Right. That this is your family's family, family. And I thought, wow. And so they collectively come together to live together, to work together, to, to rise up together. And we've come from that tradition that we work best in community. So right. what I do here is I've created a community. It's about, we're almost a million strong and we work collectively on our finances together because you might be a single mom. I'm not a single mom, so I might not get it, but someone in that group is, and she can walk you through. You might have five kids. I don't have five kids, but someone in that group is, and she can walk you through. So I pump in the knowledge. I pump in that access and that community helps to take care of each other. And so that's what I've been, I've been really trying to struggle with. What do I do? So when things like this happen, I feel like you're supposed to lean into your gifts and talents and, I know that mine is really um, making connections and, and teaching. So I'm even now just working on a 10-step foundational, financial foundational plan that we can all follow, like starting with budget, ending with estate planning, and not making it complicated, not making it so overwhelming, right. because we lack that foundation. Mm-hmm. You know, they, I think I was, it was like a, a Forbes article that said the African-American community in the United States by, uh, by 2050 will be bankrupt. That's like crazy and disheartening. So how, how do you prevent that? There's some things because of systemic racism, racism that are not quite in our control. Like I just got my house appraised and it was appraised $20,000 lower than I know it should have been. I turned around all the black pictures in the house. I knew already right. because I know right. that's just how it goes. And it was quarantine. Cause I would say I had in my mind, I'm going to ask my white friend Catherine to come and be me while I'm not here. <laughs> Who am I to do that? That you have to know, plan right. that your white friend will show your house as you, but because it was quarantine, I wasn't able to do so. And I was pissed because I know I didn't get the value of my home. Now that sounds like a personal problem. It's not because if my home is devalued, by 20%, whether because I'm black or I live in a black neighborhood, then that is, that is the, that like home ownership is the cornerstone for wealth. Mm-hmm. So if I've lost 20% of my wealth, then I can pass on 20% less to my stepdaughter, Alyssa. And then imagine just like in this community alone, how much less wealth this black community that I live in has compared to the town next over. And so we, we are bleeding wealth because of these, um, because of systemic racism. So I have a quick question, Tiffany, though, because this is the question I always get from people. If we know that that's the fight and we know that this is going to happen, what's the point of voting? What's the point of taking part in politics if it's so rigged against us? And to be honest, I don't even have an answer mm-hmm. for a lot of these, these questions, and especially financially. You know, we, when we spoke to Mr. Carr two days ago, he said the same thing about mm-hmm. house appraisals and insurance. And even when we spoke to uh, Vice President Biden, he said verbatim, 
He knows that as an older white man, that if I go get the same house built as he gets mm -hmm. built in a different area because I live somewhere different, mm -hmm. my house is going to be appraised lower, my insurance is going to be higher, higher, and it's going to be a lot more different yeah. to pass on wealth. Mm -hmm. How do we play a role in politics to help finances? That's what people want to know because it's, it's a political season now. Between now and November, all we're going to do is hear speech after speech after speech. And people are either like, I don't care, so I'm not going to vote. Or they're just like, I'm lost. So, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, the lesser of two evils. So How do we approach that from a financial standpoint? I think, first of all, it's creating like, what is it that we want? You know, what specifically, what specific um, tenants do we want? You know, we want to be treated fairly as it relates to our homes, right? We want to be under, we don't want to be over-policed. What does that look like? And how do we let a politician know that if, if you don't adhere to this, then you won't be voted in? Right. So, so for example, if I, um, brands sometimes want to work with their brand reached out to me the other day and I just know that their, their, their CEO just said that he was giving all this money to the, the, the current inhabitant of the white house and you're reaching out to me, black right. ass, since y'all talk about that as black ass me, to be a part of some, like, I was like, no, you know, you're not going to get access to my community That's what that you is. Know, with your racist ideals. And so the, one of the things I do is I, I block you know, what things are, are not in alignment. So if we could be clear about, you know, this is what's unfair and this is what we're needing, then like even voting with your dollars, like I have now switched from the bank bank that I was a part of. And now I bank my business. I have five businesses. One of them, one of which is eight figures a year. We back, we bank with a black bank now. So it's those it's shifting your funds like that. You know what I mean? Because you could talk about it, but we got to be about it. Like, okay, I'm banking with this black business. Okay. You know what? I'm actually going to go to the cleaners the black cleaners down the street. Okay, right. you know what? I'm actually going to work with, like I look at my team, I'm always asking myself, are we black enough, right? And so it's like 95% black women and I'm just like, okay, I'm, they know already when I'm looking for someone because most of the women on my team are corporate refugees. They have been mistreated by corporate America and they fled. And so now they work here. So I'm always looking for ways, even the smallest and the biggest ways of where I can put my money where my black ass mouth is. So that's what we need to do. So it's like you say a thing, but is your money in alignment with that? Are you using it to vote for the person that is telling you this is what they're going to do? And if they don't, right. are you voting them out when they're when right. they're not? So so Kenny, mm -hmm. it makes perfect sense. If we if we put our money where our mouth is, mm -hmm. we can gain political capital, right? But then when it comes to asking, like Tiffany said, you have to ask for what you want. And everyone says this buzzword. Criminal justice reform. But no one has yet to explain exactly what criminal justice reform looks like. And can a president change criminal justice reform on his own? Because I'm not going to lie, I've been guilty myself of saying we had eight years of a black president and the criminal justice system doesn't look any better. No. And I know a part of it has to do with the fact that black people put their hands up and mm -hmm. said, we got a black president. We didn't go out and vote. We didn't go out and vote for local judges. We didn't vote local, for Congress. Yeah. What can we do? to help people better understand the criminal justice system and how we can change it? Um, the criminal justice system is one of the stalwarts to make sure racism persists. Um, the financial system is one of the vanguards to make sure racism exists. The housing market, but the criminal justice system, and not just criminal justice, the legal system, because it's also civil things that happen in court concerning consumerism versus corporations. Most of these judges choose mm -hmm. the corporation over the consumer as they do the government over the defendant. Right. Of course. Of course. culture of American jurisprudence, which is 
based on Anglo-Saxon jurisprudence law. And for people, if you want to have a really strong, no uh, chaser understanding of American society as it comes to criminal justice and the rights of black people, there's no better decision for anyone to have their children read at the earliest possible age where they can comprehend is Dred V. Scott, where um, the the decision, the Dred Scott decision, the Taney's decision said that a black person has no rights that a white man has to respect for the most part. And that is one of the most important decisions. So criminal justice and the age, this digital age that we live in, where everything is digitized, the racism is digitized, the misogyny is digitized, you name it, it's digitized. And we have brands and this marketing. We forget America is historically violent, but it's also historically masterful at propaganda. Um, Program. Criminal justice reform is a cliche. It means absolutely nothing. Um, Because you had, as you just mentioned, you had Obama coming to the White House and people took their thinking caps off, threw the shit out the window because they thought that his blackness uh, transcended the position that he was in, which was he was the now head of the American empire. Right. And they stopped thinking. He put, and I've been in front of several of these federal judges, he put a bunch of judges on that bench, and they're no different than the judges that Bush put on that bench. Mm-hmm. Um, criminal justice reform is a cliche that, in my opinion, whiteness figured out, wow, this criminal justice thing is a problem. You know, we are only 5% of the world's population, but we incarcerate 25% of the world's prison population. And the wow. majority of that 25% are black and brown people. Mm-hmm. We're, we're constantly removing black men from their community, marginalizing them, education system, all, all the underlying risk factors that would create the pathway to prison, we've done nothing about except worse than them. You know, really, I live in New York. New York is still one of the most uh, segregated school edu- education systems in the country. This is after Brown. Oh, yes, we right. absolutely know that. You know what so, I just finished watching, Kenny? Huh? I just finished watching um, Khalif Brower's documentary. Oh, I had never seen it that. before. And I didn't even know you were on it. So I was oh, yeah. like, yeah, I saw Kenny on it. And the way I sobbed for that young man. And, here, and you know what's messed up, um, Kadeem? That is one of a million or that, eight million. Story. I was just about to say, how many kids do you and I know? Eight million. How do you and you and I know in Brooklyn oh, that's gone through that? So, so the criminal and and remember what America has done. It's commodified black dysfunction and pain through entertainment and music. Mm-hmm. So we have that element with criminal justice. Mm-hmm. So, so what we have to do, criminal justice to me is a cliche. It's a it's a way for people to line their pockets now. It's a great thing to to get people riled up and going. But the work that needs to be done to pull away from that system, it has to happen in our neighborhoods, Newark, Compton, Brownsville. And we have to start putting a fence around our children through education, through um, uh, information, other outlets, because the criminal justice system is targeted towards them. That's what happens when you have underfunded schools, when you are peddling your kids nothing but nonsense on entertainment all day that, you know, no knock to Jay-Z, but you made your career saying you hustled, you sold drugs. Right. And you got the, the, the 
pretty wife now, and you the you're the darling of America. So right. what do we think we're telling our children? Like right. what do we like where's the message? You know, where right. where are our doctors, our engineers, where are the people who want to be botanists, scientists, uh plumbers? Right. So, you know, to really fix criminal justice, you have to start with education. You then start to you have to really we have to check these political people. There's a lot of black people who hold political office who they're literally just there at the seat at the table to get whatever crumbs they can get from whiteness. Right. Um, and they use right. on Sunday, they go to the churches and they hallelujah it up and sweat right. it up. Mm-hmm. And then on Monday, they're down at the Democratic leader who doesn't look like them and promising him something that only benefits him. Right. So right. we have to remove the political leadership that currently exists. You know, uh, we had tremendous people who've lost their lives. Uh, if you think, think about this, back in the day, the black leadership was not Democrat or Republican. They no. were black telling yeah, you yeah. how these issues affected us. Now, right. all of our political leadership as it comes to criminal justice and everything else is, is centered on something else. And then even now, we have to understand the legacy. Even in, look, look what Biden said. You know, everybody now, you know, I'm not into this whole spectacle of blackness right now getting on your knees with kente cloth looking like you about to get up and say, <laughs> bro bro i think i think that's a collective we're all in agreement like, like what that was, what I, you know what that is though that is two things that's america is masterful at usurping narratives particularly narratives of people who they've mar- marginalized and that's also the lack of leadership and genuineness in our own community because if you had any black political leaders or white for that matter they would say, yo, cut this shit out. We, we, right. We're not doing we're not, right. we're not doing it. It was a bad look. It was a horrible but, look. But you see what uh Biden said. Um, oh, I'm not I'm not with defunding the police. Why? Right. Why are you not with that? You're not with that because from America's racist narrative, they have to have the police there to keep them away from the scary black people. Mm-hmm. And it happened under Obama. Obama came out trying to protect his boy. And the black ivory tower, Henry Louis Gates, and said some powerful things on Monday. And by Friday, he was sitting in the Oval Office garden having a beer summit with the cop who did that to his friend. So Biden wow. comes out and says, no, I'm not with defunding. Why? Because you know what? People think, oh, that means you're with the, these black people. Mm-hmm. That's what that's about. And, and in the criminal justice, politically, it's always been used as a fear monger for white Americans and middle-class black people that the way to help the black community is to police them. So we need to militarize the police. We need to fund them. And that's what that's about. And so, so, and that's Biden. That's the guy who supposedly is double digit wins right now. Who's supposed to be the answer to the other racist guy. Um, And that's, that's the question I have for for both of you guys, because this is the hardest part for me. mm People say, do I vote for the lesser of two evils? Is one guy even a good guy or do I just not vote? How important is it for us to express our voting power this November? Because, and and I want to hear from both of you guys, because you both have different platforms. You're both coming from different mindsets. Mm -hmm. You know, you're a mom, you're a dad, you're into finance, you're into criminal justice. It's like, how, how, to be honest, I don't even have the answer. People ask me all the time, are you going to not vote the battle? Are you going to vote for Biden because he's Democrat? Are you going to vote for 
Biden because he's just anti-Trump? Are you going to vote for Trump because he's promising to do more for the black community? How do we utilize our vote to make a difference? I, I think I'll be brief. I think the voting, as Stokely Carmichael talked about it uh, years ago, is an organizing tool to leverage and to bring your community together. If your community is not together, it's pointless, in my opinion. Because mm-hmm. when you think about it, white people vote for financial reasons, right? how they're going to be taxed, and then racial issues, in my right. opinion. We don't talk right. about it. Where do black people vote? Our, we're, we're in the perpetual position of voting for the lesser evil. Mm-hmm. So unless we start nurturing our own local political leadership and then nationally, we have to create apparatuses where people in Indiana, Gary, Indiana, know what the issues are in Newark and vice versa, and then sharing that information and then exhibiting it at the polls, doing what uh, Tiffany said, maybe boycotting, maybe just, you know what, I don't shop at those stores. Yep. Once they see that, you just don't stop at voting. Because vote, you can do several things. I know some brilliant people who don't vote, right. but they teach kids. They, they are out here right. putting in work. It's the community part. Yeah, so it really, it's a personal thing, but it, in a perfect world, we need to organize. And we right now, we're on the world stage trying to get our house together. Right. That's a very dangerous position to be in. And we got to get out of that space before we can even begin to change the political um, landscape. Right, nice. Tiffany? I say, I I mean, I I believe more, even almost more importantly than voting for president is voting locally. Like I, our, our, our mayor here in Newark, Ross Baraka, his, his, his father is the late Amiri Baraka. And, um, even before all this, Roz, I mean, if anybody knows Roz, he's been an organizer. He's been, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, people have a lot to say about Roz, but one thing you can't say is that he's not for his people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, it was so eloquently displayed when we had our protests. He led the protests. He's been leading, before he was mayor, he was a principal at, at, a, at one of our high schools, public high schools. Before he was that, he was a teacher at one of our high schools. So the community wasn't like, oh, here you go. You <laughs> just came out. It was like, oh. There goes Rob, we've been new, you know? Right. Um, so, but putting him, you know, in that position, you know, in, in, in this black city was, is critically important. So really voting locally, I was talking to my husband about it. I was like, yo, bro, we need to make sure, like you, you need to holler at all your boys from back in the day till now, mm-hmm. that are they registered to vote for these local elections to ensure that, um, that as Kenny said, that, we, that, that what's happening is in alignment with, with what our personal agendas are. I think that especially, especially, nothing moves America like violence and money. Okay? Yes. yes. So, you know, when people are like, oh my God, people know, they know my brand. It's pretty happy-go-lucky. And so, you know, the good white folks sometimes that follow me like, ah, you, you're not mad at the riots? I said, ah, you're not mad at a man being murdered? On, on social media. You worried about Target? Yo, somebody died. Get out of my inbox with that. I'm not worried about the violence. I am worried about the violence. Racism is violent. It's the longest lasting global pandemic in world history. Exactly. Absolutely. So imagine if, like, because one of the things right. I'm, 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 I'm thinking about it was like, even if it was just something as simple as, like, collectively telling, because my audience is, like I said, about a million deep. Imagine if I was like, yo, we are going to do a save $100 challenge, and I want you to save that $100 and put it in a black bank. That's $100 million, you know, on a day that we could do. Just imagine 
how powerful uh, that can be. And I think right. that's when people wake up. When money starts shifting hands, when money starts going from one place to another, like people don't care about this rest of this stuff, but they listen to violence and they listen to to, to money. That's and deep. So, that's deep. Mm-hmm, so that's, that's really what I'm trying to lean into. Because I feel like you're supposed to ripple where you are, right? I can't do all the things. All I can do is like, or what I, all I really should do is lean into what my strengths are, what I'm capable of doing and rippling out that way. And if someone else, it's like watching a movie, you ever watch these like, like a, like, um, uh, what was it? Not the, what is that Hobbit movie? But you ever watch these movies? Lord of the and Rings. Then, right, Lord of the Rings, right? So you see like the, the, the Hobbits are doing this, the, the tree folk are doing this, that everybody is collectively doing what they're doing in their neighborhood. And then by the end, it comes together for a greater right. movement. I think that's what we really have to lean into. You don't, everyone doesn't have to be on the front lines. Everyone doesn't, there are some people who are, who are, um, you know, who have money, so they should lean into that. There's some people who have connections, lean into that. There's some people who have knowledge, lean into that. There's some people who are going to be on the front line. I think critically now that we should be leaning into our individual gifts and talents and amplifying that even more so. So that's what I'm working on doing. I'm like, okay, I know my audience listens. If we can, if we can shift 100 million, 200 million, a right. half a billion dollars in wealth. From we're taking it from here to here, how how powerful can that be? Because banks have come to me and I told them the kick rocks. I don't partner with big banks. I remember I told one bank in particular, um, they wanted to meet with me so bad. I was like, I'm not interested. They probably put a sister on the phone. Because <laughs> <laughs> right? that's what they do. Yes, right. And yes, and I told her for you, sis. I'm going to come in, but let you, I'm coming in as myself. And she was like, okay, you know, that's fine. And I came in and I said, I just posted your bank in my Facebook group and asked these sisters in this group how they felt about your bank. Would you like me to read those replies? They said, no. I said, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, that, you, know I, you want me to cake for you. I refuse. You know, and also too, I think, because I, I was in my, my um, stepdaughter, my bonus daughter, her, her room the other day, she has on her wall, her, um, her vision board. And in it, she see she's mapping out how to start a business. And I was like, you know, kids, you think kids don't listen. She is listening. And so I think that us, we need so many more black entrepreneurs that can create safe spaces for black people to be hired and to be looked after that can create wealth. Because when you're an entrepreneur, wealth, like the sky's the limit, you know, right. of what you can, this company rewards entrepreneurs and punishes folks that work regular nine to fives. You pay taxes before you get your, even your money. If you have a nine to five and if you're an entrepreneur, you dictate what your, what your taxes are. It enables me to, to, it's enabled me to grow wealth. It's enabled me to pour right back into the community where I live. It's enabled me to make certain decisions. So I think that's, that's another in another way that we can, because I'm, I'm starting to mentor other black women entrepreneurs so that way they can hire other, other, other black folks to work at their company. Cause I'm like, well, what else can I do to help expand this? Because I, I'm not look. I'm tired of looking outside of us for the solution. We don't, it's, we don't need to. The solution is here. I, I, and I, I want to say, I think that's a very important part. Um, we have to stop emulating whiteness and we have to be comfortable um, uh, innovating who we are. And I think that's what we're lacking, even in the political process, we're lacking the innovation to impact a very young political system. People like to think the American political system is old. It's very young. Um, mm-hmm. you, know, you could go back generations, you know, six, 65 years ago is not a long time. 50 right. years is not a long time. Right. Um, we, I would love to see in the next coming years or this moment in time really inspire the young generation to start forming their own political parties. Yes. I think it's very yeah. important. Um, I, and then back to the criminal justice thing, 
There is no criminal justice. Criminal justice reform is not giving money to any of these entertainment companies for social justice reform or talking head, uh, Van Jones, this guy, this guy. That's all game. Because ultimately, if you want to change this criminal justice system, you have to get rid of these people. You have to get rid of certain laws. You have to do that. And if you're not doing that, you're literally moving furniture around. And in the voting process, if we're not if we're not using information and data to make wise choices with knowledge and wisdom, we're simply moving furniture around in that sector. And we can't afford to just move things around. It's very critical for, for black people in this country, as it always is. That was like I, I have a um I have an interview with Essence, so I gotta jump off. I don't, I don't want to yeah, be black. No, yeah, my, no, wife, my wife, my wife, my wife, you know my wife, my wife. Told me, I told her I was coming on this show. Oh, really? Is she going to Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Candace. Look at 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 I don't F with these entertainers. I think mm-hmm. these entertainers have their agenda ain't right. Mm-hmm. The fact that you guys from the inception have been using your platform and your voice to educate and inform and listen is powerful. And I, I notice it and it means a lot to me. Uh, thanks, man. No doubt. Thanks thanks so much, whatever bro. you guys need, I'm here. No, well, we appreciate love it. Man. Thank you for always letting us lean on you. We yes, sir. Know. Yes. I like Major it. Dallow, it says we know what we don't know. So if we have yo. to call in the reinforcements. <laughs> yo, look, look. We in the foxhole together. And we, we <laughs> the, the replacement is in between y'all. Those are the only replacements we got. Yes, there you go. Wow. That wow. was amazing. Yes. So much knowledge, so much more to discuss. I feel like we just yeah. kind of, that was just a tip of the iceberg and it really makes me wonder and it kind of lit this fire in me for season four of Deadass Podcast, how much more we have to discuss because this is not something that's going to be around for just like a week or two no. or a month. This no. is going to be a movement for several months and years to come, I and, think. And I have to say this, when we first started doing Deadass Podcast for us, it was to talk about millennial black love and millennial black family. And it is, but we realize now more than ever that speaking about millennial black love and family is talking about trying to get rid of systematic oppression, trying to to talk about social injustice, trying to push forward economic empowerment to all of our people so that we as a community can continue to grow. I mean, I think that we have so much more to talk about going into season four and and just so much uh, more people, so many more people to bring on, to share with you guys. Because like I said, we know what we don't know, but we know people who do know. Exactly. And you figure black love, black family, we cannot continue to exist and to thrive in an environment like this. And we've had 400 plus years uh, before us and we still have a long march ahead of us. So we want to send a special thank you to Kenneth Montgomery, who's been on our Yes, he's been on the podcast. podcast And we're going to have him back on again. For sure. Kenneth Montgomery, he's like family to us. We appreciate you, Kenny. Um, The Budget Nista, Tiffany Aliche, who was also on another episode that we have because there's so many different ways to break down finance and economy, but particularly pertaining to right now with a recession that's about to hit. I mean, it was so important to have her shed her light on that. And of course, Mr. Lewis Carr, 
who has been great, like the mentor to DeVal and oh, has really taken him under his wing. Right. So I appreciate somebody like that who you can call on when we have things like this. Absolutely. That we need, uh, you know, some advice on. And I think it's important, especially for uh, Mr. Lewis Carr, because he talks about corporate, uh, corporate culture. And for so many years, black people have felt like it's difficult for us to exist in corporate culture because there's so few of us. But here's a man who's existed for over 31 years, raised billions of dollars, and he's done it at an international level. Um, I think we need to continue to groom young men and young women to occupy that space. For sure. You know, we always talk about trying to occupy space, but if we have no one to occupy the space, there will be no more Lewis Cars. There will be no more Tiffany Aliches. There will be no more Kenneth Montgomery's. We're talking about financial advisement, uh, attorneys. Yes. Uh, we're talking about CEOs and, and presidents. Very vital to yes. making this world run. So, so thank you so much for being yes. examples. Thank you for educating us. And thank you for being a part of the Deadass community. So, babe, mm-hmm. do you have a moment of truth for what we've just experienced? That was that was heavy. I have so many. First moments. of all, were you nervous? So many. Moments. Were you nervous just taking on this project and trying to? Yeah, I share? mean, yeah, I, I, you know, the reason why I feel like I was maybe a little apprehensive at first was just because anytime you step foot into that political realm, right, it creates um, contention. It creates divide. Do you have sometimes. political aspirations? None whatsoever. <laughs> and I hope you don't either. No, I don't. something you should probably discuss with the prospective spouse. No, I have no political aspirations. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad that we know that now. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was a little nerve wracking just because whenever you step foot into this political realm, there's so many things to, um, you know, decompress and to right. figure out. And it causes a lot of, you know, contention. Like the biggest thing that we I've always heard growing up is like, there's certain things you don't discuss right. with friends. And now it's like, yeah. oh, everyone has as a voice, social media, you know, you see right. friends on Facebook posting certain things and you're like, wait a second, sis, I right. didn't know you felt that way. <laughs> Let me unfriend you. But you know what? Let me not unfriend you so you can see these posts I'm about to post <laughs> as a rebuttal. You know, it becomes like right. this this silent debate that happens right. online um, with with friends or, you know, acquaintances. So, you know, it, it is a little, a little touchy, but I feel like it's necessary. I feel like everything that's happening right now is creating a level of discomfort for yes. everyone you know and that's I, important for change of course. you have to be uncomfortable like i saw a meme change. recently that said something about like it took for sports to stop entertainment yeah. to stop every pretty much everything that like, would have been a distraction right. stopped and this for people to realize yeah. that there was a problem there that's was so a true. problem everything that's had so to, like everyone had to disconnect to realize oh my goodness you know um and it's funny because you can even feel the tension sometimes just leaving like your front door like yeah you know having white neighbors that are just like right. hey you know you're not sure if they're comfortable yeah it's with, like a, with us and we're not comfortable with right. them it's like do we even discuss what's happening do we act like it never happened. And, and prior to this, like, right. you know, a couple months ago, everything was fine. It's like, hey, right. neighbor, hey, neighbor. And now it's kind of like, ugh, there's a little bit of tension in the air. Right. So, um, so yeah, I think overall, in general, it's just a very uncomfortable time. But I think it's going to be a time that's, this is a catalyst for change right now. And I think we should embrace that. And that might even be my moment of truth kind of yes. spiraling into that. It's just like, 
using this discomfort to promote change? How am I Mm -hmm. going to change? How am I going to create a better future for my children? How can I do that from a grassroots level? What role can I take in my community? There's so many things to reflect on and now to strategize to see how I can be the actual change that I want to see. Right. I can, I, I, I see that. I, that's dope because so many nights I sat here with you and we were trying to figure out what do we do? How do we do it? Yeah. So that's, and what rocked me too was having that conversation with our boys. Right. You know, Jackson particularly because he's older, he can kind of grasp, he grasp the concept a little bit more. of he what's going on. And that was the most heartbreaking conversation to have. I felt like I stripped a piece of his innocence away because, mm-hmm. you know, for him to feel like, wow, there's people out there that just won't see me as Jackson, right. my sweet, you know, empath, empath of a child. Right. It, it just, oh my goodness, I, it, was, it was a lot to deal with. Well, my moment of truth is is this. I realized something throughout this whole process. We're constantly talking about occupying space mm-hmm. as a community. Mm-hmm. But then I realized that we are not doing a good enough job of grooming the next generation to occupy that space. Mm. And I'm guilty of it, too. I've never mentioned to my kids about being a politician, about being a judge, about being a lawmaker. Mm. And I, I'm saying to myself, after listening to Kenny... How do we create the change without actual policy? Because the people can change, but if the policy is still in place, right. systemically it's nothing will change. So we have to do a better job as a community of grooming the next generation of leaders in right. the corporate space, in the political space, so we can get the change that we really want. That's dope. That's my yeah. moment of truth. I love that. So. Now I need to find some resources. Anybody got any resources for the kids? You know, a lot yeah. of people sharing some resources on things that we can read to the kids and things for them to see and websites. So right. I think that would be great to have as well. So they can see that there's power in being a judge and there's power in being an attorney and being able to have people who look like us in yes. those positions looking out for the greater good, you know? Absolutely. Well, listen, we appreciate you joining us. We thank you so much. We love you guys as always. Make sure no matter what you do, you go out and you vote. Make sure you go out there and let people know that you matter and make sure that your voice is heard. Absolutely. And continue to watch us, subscribe to Deadass Podcast. Season four will be coming up at some point. We're not really sure when. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out for you guys. You know, 2020 is still kind of touch and go at this point. (laughs) But please continue to subscribe and listen. Tell a friend uh, anywhere you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Deval Ellis. And I'm Kadeen Ellis. And this is Deadass Podcast. Peace. Deadass is a production of Stitcher. We are produced by Jackie Soljiko and Denora Pena. Our executive producer, T-Square. Our associate producers are Tribble and Kristen Torres. Our chief content officer is Chris Bannon. Our studio engineer and original music is by Brendan Burns. And last but not least, we are mixed by Andy Christens. We're back. I'm Drew McGarry. And I'm David Roth. We have a podcast going on right now as part of the Stitcher Network called Distraction. That's available everywhere you get your podcast at uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple. Go listen right now to the Distraction. Right now. It's out. Do it, please.